the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number one ninety three. I am your host Dustin, and today I have with me this is Ed, who has a new dog, and this is Stella, who's depressed after reading the entire Gotham Central run. <laughs> Poor Christmas, Alan. I feel bad for you because of that. Anyway, um, we have a little bit of comic news. We are covering mm. everything from August 1st Better. through August 14th. Uh, we have a total of three books to cover, including All-Star Batman, which just uh, released. We have a little bit of news, including some stuff that I made a mistake on talking, not talking about last episode, so we'll get into that first. So the first thing we have is there was a little bit of news that came out of San Diego that I failed to bring up because it was mostly under the radar and of course I normally assume that I'm not going to find out anything related to comics when I actually report on news from the comic convention. Think about that for a second. Hmm. Um, but anyway, there was first it was a, the first bit of announcement was that there is going to be another Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle uh, crossover. Given that the first one, Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, uh, the the miniseries that launched last year was so successful, being that it was um, in the top 10 for the first couple months and in the top 20 for the last couple months, um, super successful for both DC and IDW. So they have decided they're going to do another one. And this time around, it is going to be a little bit different. It's not just going to be a direct sequel to the previous one. Instead, it's going to be Batman TMNT Adventures, which will feature a crossover between the Batman, the animated series version of the Batman universe, and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versions of the characters that are currently on the cartoon that is currently on Nickelodeon. Um, that being said, um, the series will be written by Matthew K. Manning, who has worked on other other Batman projects in the past, um, with art by John Somarva. Hmm. And he's previously worked on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as well. Um, so basically that was the, the biggest announcement. Uh, that, that we don't know if it's a miniseries or an ongoing series. I would assume it's a miniseries, but then again... I, I, who knows? Who knows? I mean, the first series was extremely successful as far as sales go, so who knows? Maybe they will just put it on as an ongoing for now. Who knows? Um, but it is going to be – the first issue is going to release in November. Obviously, we'll know a little bit more details probably by the next episode that uh, we have. Uh, we'll know probably a little bit more about whether or not it's a miniseries since November solicitations are right around the corner. I like this. I like the bubble continuity. I think the Batman, you know, animated series was was good. So I, I, anytime we get to kind of revisit that world, I'm always down for it. All right. And then uh, the other bit of news was that Tom Taylor was announced that he will be returning to the Injustice universe. Um, we all thought Injustice Gods Among Us would be wrapping up um, because it was announced that the current year, year five, uh, that's currently releasing digital first, um, would be wrapping up later this year. Uh, time frame somewhere October, November is when it would be wrapping up, and they said that was going to be the final year. 
But lo and behold, as it turns out, it was announced in between that initial announcement that Injustice Gods Among Us was ending, that NetherRealm is making a new video game called Injustice 2. And of mm. course, new video game means new tie-in comic. So Tom Taylor is returning to... I'm not. I wouldn't say go as far as to say what put him on the map, but at least put him on the map com, com, compared to other work that's not TBU related. But put him on the map uh, when compared to Batman Universe, um, he's coming back to write Injustice Two, whatever the miniseries will eventually be called. So that was uh, that was the announcement from that. And then, uh, you know, we talked about this last episode. Hopefully you read through those interviews that Stella did at Comic-Con with the number of creators, a lot of really good interviews. Um, One interview that that, uh, I found online talking with the same creators that we talked with um, that gave just a tad bit more information about something that I don't think a whole lot of people were talking about was Tom King was talking to, to IGN and randomly stated that Joker, the Joker story hinted at DC Universe DC Universe Rebirth will be told in the pages of Batman, um, but he did he didn't say whether or not the actual story is going to be told or whether or not it was just going to touch on it. He just basically said, "Look to the pages of Batman number nine if you're interested in that." There's three different Jokers in the DC Universe, so yeah, there's that. Also, in that same interview, I we he dashed our hopes of us thinking there was a Watchman saying, "Watch the clock." Because it was he, he did say in that same interview that it was Hugo Strange. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> oh, I gotta say something about this. So I get that, and I guess we were wrong. But do you think he was just kind of messing with everybody? I mean, after you just had this super big reveal that got splashed all over comics media about the Watchmen, everybody making such a big deal about it, you have to know if you drop watch quotes in with mysterious figures, right? Like. You gotta be messing with people a little bit. I don't know. It was weird because basically the the question that was posed and that that prompted this answer was, what was the decision behind using Psycho Pirate and Hugo Strange? And he said, well, as far as Hugo Strange goes, I wanted to use a character that Bob Kane and Bill Finger used way back in the day when they were writing comics, and it's kind of an homage. So that's why I chose Hugo Strange, um, and. Then he brought up the scene. He said, that's why I had him staring at the clock and saying, watch the clock, Batman. And I kept thinking to myself, that doesn't make any sense as to the, the connection there doesn't make any sense. But then he just immediately changed subjects to Psycho Pirate. And I was like, I don't know if he, if he dropped that in there on purpose as to, you know, create confusion or what. But why would, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. And Psycho Pirate's always going to create confusion because it's Psycho Pirate. <laughs> confusion he, he actually, and disturb you. <laughs> yeah, true. He, yeah. Said that he actually has a decent reason. Uh, Psycho Pirate is used because the idea is that Psycho Pirate is not a Batman Universe character. It's true. A Justice League character. Mm-hmm. And, th- and I've heard this reiterated by Scott Snyder in some interviews as well and some stuff that James Tinian has said on Twitter about how one of the major pushes that DC is trying to achieve with Rebirth is that they're trying to include that interconnectivity of all of the different stories. Um, you know, not everything can be connected at ever, any given time, but they're trying to make it a cohesive continuity between all of the books. 
and by including characters that normally wouldn't appear in that type of type of book, so Psycho Pirate in Batman, um, you have a reason why you might see another character from you know the the overall DC universe come into the Batman books. Um, I also remember reading somewhere, I believe it was Tom King on Twitter, had said something about Cyborg was going to be coming to uh, Gotham City and working with Batman in some future issue. There's a lot of stuff that these guys are talking about on Twitter. I feel like they're they're actually revealing more on Twitter than they were pre, uh, pre-Rebirth and during Flashpoint. I felt like on f- during, uh, not Flashpoint, during New 52, uh, during New 52 it felt like they were never allowed to really reveal anything ever. And now it seems like there's a very laxed position on Free that. Free for all. Yeah, because they're talking about all kinds of stuff. Um, so much so that I was thinking about creating a article talking, you know, showing off some of the reveals from Twitter alone of some of the stuff they were talking about. Because Tinian was just talking about how, uh, you know, people were asking random questions and he was throwing out answers left and right. Um, people were asking, you know, we noticed that you know a lot of focus is on Kate Kane this arc. Uh, who, you know, wh- will we see some focus on? Uh, Cassandra or Spoiler or Clayface, you know, in the future story arcs. And he was like, oh, yeah, the second arc is is so-and-so. Now, this stuff was also divulged in the same interview that Stella had, and he said the same stuff. But it's one of those things where, you know, if you're not paying attention to the interviews online, he's doing a good job of marketing his own his own product on Twitter for people who follow him. So, I think that's a great way. I also am noticing a lot more art reviews and things like that, or art previews, that is, um, from from the writers as well, which is cool to see. So Snyder couldn't stop putting out pages oh, yeah. for Batman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that is Comic-Con. Not, like I said, there wasn't a ton, but there is a little bit to, worth mentioning. Now, the next bit of news we have uh, comes from August 4th. Um, as we know, Rebirth has been a success for DC Comics. We'll talk about sales numbers in just a little bit, um, sales numbers briefly. But one of the things that a lot of people may have noticed seeing the solicitations come out for the coming months is that there were two series specifically that were mentioned to come out sometime in September, October. Those two series were Super Sons and Justice League of America. Neither one of those series have been solicited as of October solicitations, so we were only left to assume, well, either they're coming out in November or sometime after that, or they've been canceled completely. We never got a creative team that was attached to Super Sons. Super Sons is probably more of a focus for us just because it includes Damian Wayne. Um, But Justice League of America, with the previous Justice League of America, completely puttering out with delays and cancellations and not actually even ending its own story and the writer of Justice League of America going over to Justice League, who knows what will happen with Justice League of America. Maybe they're just trying to hope that if they put it off long enough, people will forget that the previous series didn't really actually end. But anyway, the whole thing was, uh, you know, what is happening with these? Well, it turns out that Dan DiDio and Jim Lee were giving an interview with ICV2 um, about a number of different things related to the success of Rebirth and retailer-specific things. And they specifically asked a question about, was there anything that changed, either good or bad, that you were unprepared for? 
And Didio responded with, one of the things that's strange is we're planning number ones through September and possibly into October. But the relaunch was so strong at the beginning that we actually delayed some of the later books into next year to give them more time to spend, to build them creatively, creatively, but also we didn't feel the urgency. We wanted to make sure we didn't overwhelm the fan base right now from from the start with so many titles that we decided to delay some of the material. So we made a slight adjustment on our schedule, so books like Justice League of Justice League America and Super Sons that were announced for later this year are now moving to 2017. So, well, it's good to know that, you know, they... Thanks for letting us in on that. Yeah, yeah, they didn't actually (laughs) let anybody know, and that interview was buried, that that, that little quote was buried so far into an interview that, unless you were looking for it, you wouldn't have found it. Bleeding Cool was the ones who found it uh, and reported it, and that's how we found it, but... Basically, it's just interesting that these two series, they have basically just pushed back. And his reason is, well, we didn't want to overwhelm the fan base with too many number ones or you know, re, re, you know, know, new series and things like that. But let's be realistic here. We've had three months. October will get another group of stuff. September is getting another group of new books. There's, that's basically a total of five months worth of new stuff. So let's, let's be honest with ourselves and, and say that the real reason that these – two titles out of the large number of titles that they currently have were pushed back because there was creative issues with whatever they may be finding a team to work on the book or, you know, delays or whatever. And they've just decided to push it back. I don't really care, but don't sit here and try to say that it's because you had so much stuff that was successful in the beginning because you, 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 pretty much planned on a lot of this stuff happening, whether or not you planned on it being successful. Let's hope to God they planned on it being successful. Well, I would hope, yeah. yeah. But if they didn't plan, if they, they planned on it, you know, potentially being super strong, there's a reason why the books that launched in June were Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, uh, you know, Green Arrow, Green these Asher, books Flash, that have a yeah. built-in fan base that had series prior to... Uh, the new fit or you know prior to rebirth that had successful series to begin with there's a reason why that happened it's not like they front loaded it for any other reason other than to make sure they had a lot of good material popping out the gate right away so super sons and justice league of america are delayed until 2017 that leads to the question of will we see some another wave uh, we do know that october november we're st- going to start seeing some of that young animal imprint stuff um, November should be seeing Mother Panic, which is the Gotham-related book from Young Animal. Um, but could we see another wave of books similar to what we saw in the New 52, even though the New 52 at least waited until May of the next year? So I'll just go, on a, go out now on a limb and say, given that uh, New 52 started in September, Rebirth started in June, the second wave of New 52 stuff and cancellations came in May of the following year. So I'm going to take a wild guess and say if we see these books, it would probably be in February. Yeah, and I could see maybe not cancellations per se. Yeah, I'm not saying cancellations, but definitely some new series. And I could see them taking some books that are currently, and I don't have any idea of any titles off the top of my head, but I could see them taking some twice-monthly books and going, well, now these are going to come out once a month. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then we're going to get a new series, this, a new series, this, and this one's going to become monthly. I can see that happening as well. All right. So the next bit of news is 
not super comic related other than the person it's about. But on August 5th, it was announced that Hulu is making a documentary that is going to focus on Bill Finger. Um, now, as we know, Bill Finger is, uh, it was last September that Bill Finger was, it was announced that Bill Finger would start receiving credits alongside Bob Kane for his contributions to the Batman universe. Um, we've seen that he's received credit on Gotham, Batman vs. Superman. He's also received credit on in the comics as well. But Hulu is, t- is uh, launching a documentary series about a number of uh, subjects that forever shape pop culture, as they say. Um, and one of the films already revealed is going to focus on Bill Finger. Um, now, it'll be interesting to see what they actually can do. These are only meant to be like an hour-long documentaries. They're not going to be two-hour-long documentaries, but it'll be interesting to see what information they come up with because the there was a book a couple years back by Mark Tyler Noble, uh, who was the person who was championing getting in Bill Finger credit, and his book was very, very brief. I'll just put it in that, that way because there's not really a whole other way to put it, but his book was very brief, mostly because there's not a lot of information about Bill Finger. He's not like Bob Kane who walked around telling everybody he created Batman. So, and he also died. Yeah. And he also died in the 1970s. So he's been gone for a while and there just isn't a lot of information about him in general. So it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing with the documentary. No word on when it's going to come out, but it will be exclusive to Hulu. So you can check that out. Uh, Obviously when it is announced, we will make sure to keep you informed on the website. All right, so then uh, I guess now is a better time to step into sales numbers. Now, there's not I don't we're not going to dive into too in depth with sales numbers in general, just because um, we're not really doing a whole lot of reporting on sales numbers in depth uh, for these first couple months of of um, of rebirth. But there the sales numbers came out uh, this past Friday. And there was an unusual thing that happened, and that is that DC Comics, for the first time in, I believe, seven years, had overtaken Marvel for uh, market share for the month, which is pretty crazy. I think uh, Jimmy Carter was the president last time this happened, so... That, that's a slight exaggeration, but yeah, true. But nonetheless, um, as far as the top ten books go... Uh, Surprisingly, Justice League and Justice League Rebirth, which were both obviously number ones, were the top two books of the month. Um, Justice League, number one, had a total of 209,000 sales, which is a lot. Um, Batman, number two, still strong at 177,000. Batman, number three, 168,000. Nightwing Rebirth was 127. And then uh, Nightwing, number one, 114,000. Those are the Batman books from the top ten. Um, as it, Just going down the list, uh, Detective Comics is still sitting at 100,000 for 936. 937 was 92,000, so even that book's not really dropping that bad. Uh, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey Rebirth, uh, their first issue launched at 99,000. And Batgirl, mm. number one, 96,000. Those are both really good. Uh, really Red Hood good. and the Outlaws Rebirth, eighty-eight thousand. Um, that, that's basically that rounds out the, the top twenty-five. I'm not going to go further than that, but it was a good. It was a good strong. run for overall. Yeah. Those are some strong numbers. I mean, especially for just you know, detective. The, the number ones you always kind of chalk up number ones, but this is the second month in a row that detective numbers have stayed very strong. 
Um, and with the back row books almost hitting 100,000 each, too, that's that's very, very good news. Yeah, as far as the number of comics, just talking about the market as a whole, the number of comics, there was 16 comics that had over 100,000 copies sold in the month, okay. which is the highest number since June of 2006. So, and that was back when Civil War, the first series from Marvel, was coming out. So, crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, now, there is one worth. There's one thing to note, which is DC's comics um, have. If you don't really follow the stuff related to retailers, all of the Rebirth comics, DC is part of DC's initiative to really like boost um, the enthusiasm from retailers for these new books all of the comics were made returnable so any of these rebirth titles are made returnable so the sales numbers might be higher and they could potentially be adjusted the next month depending on what retailers actually return but that's what it is as of right now so the sales numbers themselves have an asterisk next to their rankings specifically because all of the comics Incredible. are returnable, but nonetheless, those are still great numbers being returnable or not, because even when they are returnable, there's not that large of an amount that actually ends up getting returned. Although in some ways I have to say, I think it's kind of strange that Justice League and Justice League Rebirth were the top two books of the month, because I have not been liking those. Um, but they're still Justice League number ones. I mean, yes, they're yes, gonna, that's probably why. They're, they're going to sell. And I, the good news is I've heard reports that people have gone to comic stores and some stuff has been, has been actually sold out. Yeah, I've um, heard that too. It's so good. much so that just last week when All-Star Batman came out, supposedly well – actually, let's, let's back up. The week before that, Harley Quinn came out. And yes. supposedly Harley Quinn was selling out everywhere – and could potentially be the top-selling book of the month for August because I think it said somewhere like 400K was the number I kept hearing spit out, which I was like, seriously? And, I mean, obviously that number could be inflated just a tad bit because of the fact that she is in the film right now. I don't know. But that seemed like really high, especially when last week when all-star Batman came out, the number that was getting thrown around was all-star Batman. Number one sold 350 K, which is a crazy Hmm. number too. Um, I mean, nothing against Scott Snyder, but that's, that's a lot of comics. And, but then when you compare it to the fact that Harley Quinn outsold that, that seems a little off, but I mean, like these are just number initial numbers being thrown out the week of. So, but how many like I, I saw that uh, Jimmy funny enough Twitter has become our news source. I saw Jimmy Palmiotti on tri- tw- on Twitter the day that the uh, Harleyman Quinn number one came out. They didn't have some ungodly amount of variants like yes, it did, it did like thirty or forty. Because I remember he was tweeting out like all the variants, and my, I remember I just had screens of Harley Quinn variant covers. Yeah, and Suicide Squad had the same thing. They had like, a ridiculous amount of variants. Now, no, nothing against All Star Batman. They also had plenty of variants as oh, well. Oh no, yeah, they brought but it. They, but they had it was the same thing. They're doing like these these uh, retailer exclusive variants, where if you or order X amount of comics, you'll get your own exclusive Dang. variant yeah. cover. So, and I don't know how many comics it is. I assume it would have to be at least a thousand. I would assume. I don't know why DC would be making like. 
500 copies and, and uh, commissioning art for something like that if it was only 500 issues, but I don't know. I, I don't know how that works. Well, there's, there's somewhere there's a Harley Quinn completist that's losing their mind. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just that's why, that, and that's the perfect reason as to why you had I had to jump off the variant bandwagon. You just couldn't it's, do it. It just got too difficult. Batman Incorporated was the beginning of that when they started having one in one hundred uh, variant covers. It was almost impossible to find those one in one hundreds. And Batman Incorporated if I remember correctly, was the first one that started to do those. Yep. And I was like, this is ridiculous. It's getting too difficult. All right, so then the, moving on to sales numbers, the very last bit of news we have is actually comes on August 13th. It was announced via Twitter that Sean Gordon Murphy will be working on a bat project. Uh, he's been teasing this for the last couple of months, but he actually announced – on Saturday that he has signed an exclusive contract with DC for the next two years. He will be working on All-Star Batman with Scott Snyder at, at some point. Okay. Um, during his, his his Twitter Q&A that he was doing, he was holding this all himself, which props to him because he had plenty of people interested in what he was having to say. Oh, yeah. um, but he had said mentioned something about he was working on the finale for All-Star. I'm not sure if he meant... All-Star, he will be working on the final issues of All-Star, or if he is working, his final work outside of the Bat Project will be All-Star Batman. I don't know, but he will be working with Scott Snyder at some point on All-Star Batman. Um, in addition to that, he also said that he will have his own Bat book that he will both write and do the art for. His uh, exact quote was, for the next few years, I'm exclusively working with DC on two Batman books, All-Star, and one that I'm writing drawing myself. So if you're planning on reading my All-Star run, the finale, pick up Snyder's All-Star books now. The Batman book I'm doing alone will be my Dark Knight and my Year 100, an Elseworld-like take on Batman, my attempt at an opus. But that won't start until after All-Star is wrapped up. So if you plan on reading these 14-plus issues of SGM Batman, best grab All-Star now. All-Star has been amazing. Ha, has an amazing talent pool, and I'm honored to be involved. Thanks to both Scott Snyder and DC Comics for the best gig ever. So he does make it seem like he will be working on the All-Star finale, but we haven't heard anything about whether or not All-Star... We've all been the assumption that All-Star is an ongoing, especially with the crazy amount of artists that have been announced or hinted at that... Uh, Maybe he needs the finale of, like... Story. story arc, yeah, or something. Because, I mean, he says the finale. Yeah, I think because it wasn't like this Two-Face story supposed to be like 13 issues long. I don't know. I heard something that was supposed to be shorter, and then it gets longer, and then it gets longer, and then it actually is longer. So. And I saw tweets that Cap, Cap was coming back to work with Scott, what, what, in eight months? On something, yeah. I heard that... And they said they were coming back to Gotham, is what they said on Twitter. So. <sighs> yeah, who knows? I mean, yeah. I assumed that he was that Cap was going to come on and work for you know, something. Yeah, yeah All Star. And the assumption was that he was signing another contract with DC Comics after he got back from doing this project with Mark Miller, which was meant to be only like a six to eight month break. At this point, it's already been four months, five months, I think. So, so I mean, because the last issue that he was on was fifty. And that was March. So, 
I mean, just hmm. them up, and it's been a, it's been some time. That's interesting, but I tell you what, uh, Mr. Murphy is really good. I don't know if anyone read The Wake that him and Snyder did together. Um, he's a great artist, so the fact that he's going to do an Elseworlds type story, hopefully that will start after Dark Knight Three ends, and I think we should hope look forward to covering that because Mur- he's good. This could be really fun, and I like Elseworlds stuff. I think they're, I think given the right the right the right writer, uh, and giving that guy enough freedom to explore stuff, I think some Elseworld stories can be really really fun, and we haven't had a great one in a long time. All right, and then just as a heads up, if you head over to the website, uh, there are two DC All Access videos um, over on the site for you to check out. Uh, the first one is a top ten list of top Suicide Squad moments. That's under the editorial section. And then if you head over to the comic news section, we actually have two other ones that I forgot about. But there's a Suicide Squad Rebirth uh, talking with writer Rob Williams and artist Phil Tan about Suicide Squad. And then also talking with Christopher Priest about Deathstroke Rebirth. Um, specifically because he says that Batman and Robin will be coming in to issue four and five of that series. So that is something you can take a look at over there as well. So though that is all of our comic news. We're going to jump straight into our books. And the first one we have is Batman. Batman number four, I am Gotham. Part four, writer Tom King, pencils David Finch, inks Sandra Hope and Matt Banning, colors Jordi Belair. Batman comes across a horrific scene of 27 dead soldiers, this number is key people, uh, killed by someone with Superman level strength. At the scene uh, also is Gotham Girl repeatedly saying, I'm scared, I'm very scared, clearly still under the influence of Psycho Pirate. Elsewhere on the roof of a building, Gotham tries to calm a man down, but it has the opposite effect, and the man blows a bomb to the confusion of Gotham, killing a squad of officers and firemen while saying the monster men are coming. At the Batcave, Gotham Girl is struggling with her emotions. Duke attempts to comfort her, but Batman pulls him away for something more important, which is the analysis of the crime scene. At the scene of the blown bridge from the previous issue, Gotham is trying to fix it himself. Batman is doing a bad impression of an inspirational speaker, uh, basically saying Gotham can't fix it. Uh, and Gotham gets upset and he throws an eye beam at the Batmobile, which basically destroys it. Batman had hope for him, but that was before he saw the scene of 27 dead men in a burning building. This number, 27, means something to Gotham, and he flies off in a rage. Duke radios in and tells Batman that the dog tag numbers of all the the 27 soldiers uh, equate to 24, and that is X in the alphabet. And so Batman puts it all together and knows that it's Amanda Waller and Task Force X. At a secret location, Sam Lane is telling Amanda Waller that there's, hey, there's nothing to worry about with Batman, but Batman's already there. Waller explains the thinking behind Task Force X, Psycho Pirate, and Hugo Strange. Surprise, surprise, Strange betrayed her and used Psycho Pirate to manipulate the Gothams, who then killed the guards sent to prevent a betrayal. So it was a bit of 
irony there. Walter believes Batman will now be helping them when he gets a shock from her that there were actually 28 soldiers. Whoa, whoa. The scene switches to the home of Gotham and Gotham Girl's parents, who are now dead at the hands of the 28th soldier who saw Gotham's identity when he, for whatever reason, removed his mask at the scene of the massacre. The soldier did some research, found the parents, and killed them. Whether of his own madness or under the direction of Psycho Pirate is unclear, at least to me. Batman tries to calm Gotham down, but Gotham kills the soldier and in a rage comes to the realization that he sacrificed everything to save the city of Gotham, but he can't save it. He can, however, wipe it out before it hurts anyone else to be continued. My first question is from me, personally, because I had some difficulty, and I, I had read some of these scenes a couple times, difficulty sort of p piecing together how this issue connected to the last one and what exactly was going on. So my first question is, it's kind of hard to explain, so I'll just state the confusing moment or the confused moments that I had. So first of all, we leave issue three, and Gotham Girl and, and Gotham are there. Psycho Pirate, of course, is there, and he seems a little wacky, and Hugo Strange is there, and the soldiers are already killing themselves, if you notice in that last panel. So we start off here, and we find out that they're all dead, but it's being blamed on Gotham. So that's my first confusion. How come they're, you know, they're shooting each other and, you know, Gotham and, and all that stuff. Uh, this issue as a whole seemed a little scattered for me. Like, why all these weird scene changes? Like, Gotham doesn't seem affected by Psycho Pirate at all. And then it jumps to that scene on the roof and, you know, what he's doing with that man. Then it jumps to him building the bridge. So I don't know if you can connect any of that for me. And then my last confusion is with the 28th soldier. He's trying to get revenge, as it's said in this issue. Is he under Psycho Pirate's control? Or is he... Were they not under Psycho Pirate's control? And so he's upset because Gotham killed all the soldiers. And so that's why he's taking it out. So I don't know if it was just me, but this seemed like things were not working together. And, and I wasn't... I was confused. So, my first question is, can you help me? Okay, well, <laughs> I can say that I, I also had a little bit of confusion in the very beginning okay. of the story. Um, initially, when, because there is that change, you know, we go from the reveal that Psycho Pirate and Hugo Stranger are there, to suddenly we get, it's revealed that Gotham's not there, there's all these dead bodies, and Gotham right. Girl is, you know, is in some sort of distress. So, I was confused as to, okay, what exactly happened? Then the scene cuts to him on the roof, and he doesn't seem to be affected in any way. He's just mm -hmm. there, and it seems like he's there to save the man. I don't know how he even knew about the man. I, I don't know that part of it. But then, And then, it, of course, that explosion happens, and then he goes back into the original bridge from the last issue and is you know, trying to fix the bridge. So there's a lot of confusion. I agree. Um there, but the, the 20th soldier thing, my understanding from that was that Psycho Pirates controlled Gotham and made him kill all the the soldiers. Gotham assumed that he killed everybody. He took off his mask, 
and the soldier who didn't die, the 28th soldier, saw his face, somehow was able to put it into a facial recognition system by taking a picture, and then figured out who his parents were, and then went to go exact revenge on him by killing his parents. That part of it is a little convoluted to me because the, the, my understanding was that the soldiers were not villains or bad guys or anything like that. Mm-hmm. They were actual soldiers from the military because Amanda Waller goes to say later on, well, those soldiers were there to get Hugo Strange and Psycho Pirate back, you know, because they are, you know, Hugo Strange betrayed her and they're working on their own now. And those soldiers were sent there to get them back. Gotham is possessed or, you know, whatever by Psycho Pirate. And and Psycho Pirate uses Gotham to kill all the soldiers. But why would that make the last soldier want to kill the parents? I don't know. I mean, I definitely agree with you that the story was a little bit scattered. It did not flow well at all, in my opinion. Um, it wasn't a bad story, but it didn't. It just didn't flow. It seemed like it was. It was very. It was very fast paced, but for no reason other than we needed to move the story along quickly. I can't help you. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. No, no, there's a lot of it that um, I was kind of with Dustin on the whole when uh, when Gotham was like 27, because he realizes that one of them wasn't dead. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I kind of. I kind of got that part. Um, the rest of it moves very fast. I mean, you're using Psycho Pirate in this story, in my opinion, just to act as a... We've, we've established characters that are supposed to act a certain way, and now we're going to make them act the other way. Um, and Psycho Pirate's, I guess, the easiest way to do that. Um, yeah, this, this, one's a little, this one's a little confusing, um, which is it's just kind of bad, because the first three issues, I thought this were extremely solid. Um, and this one does seem a little muddled. Um, there is every chance, you know. You, you other thing is we're dealing with a lot of really manipulative people here. You got Hugo Strange who's manipulating people, Waller who's manipulative, Psycho Pirate who is by definition manipulative. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot of manipulation going on here. Which King is, seems to be a very solid writer to me. So I don't know if if what he was trying to do here was maybe make us all as confused as Batman was going to be with everything that was going on. Um, and maybe the next issue will be him start tying some threads up. But there was certainly some times in this one where I was genuinely confused. Okay. Well, at least it wasn't just me. But that does make, you know, because I, I think it could have gone either way regarding that 20th soldier whose power he was under. So I guess it was just a revenge plot and he was under his own uh, thing. But I'm surprised no one stopped him at, since he was using the task Force X computers and everything. Uh, but thank you for clearing some of that stuff up. So my other one is actually story-related. And we have the first interaction, uh, I could be wrong, someone on the interwebs could correct me, in the New 52, which is now Rebirth, I believe, between Batman and Amanda Waller. And these are just two you know, prolific characters, obviously, and whenever they've gone up against each other, either in the animated universe or in Suicide Squad, written by Ostrander, like, it's been very tense and intense. Uh, and I just wondered, what did you think about this first particular interaction between these two? How did it feel to you on the page? Did you enjoy it? Did you think that it was a, a big character moment, or was it written well? 
I think overall it was fine. I didn't really have any major issues with it. I mean, it definitely didn't come across as this is the first time they've ever encountered each other. Mm-hmm. But definitely this is the first time we're seeing them to, the two of them interact within at least the Rebirth brand of what's what's going on. That being said, I thought it was the, the, the setup of General Lane going on and on about how bad Batman was. And then all of a sudden she's just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> And then Batman just appears, and she's like, "Oh, by the way, he's behind you." And then, of course, Lane is 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 taken aback by the fact that that's you know that he's right there. But I thought that was a perfect because she understands who Batman is to a degree. Like she might not agree with his decisions and the way he goes about doing things, but she knows she she has a certain understanding about him, and I think that it's shown well enough that. She understands that Batman does what he does, but she feels like she's always going to have a better way of doing the same thing. So I think that part of it was was shown well. Um, it'll be interesting to see, knowing that later on down the line that Batman is going to be setting up his own suicide squad, which I, I have to say this because I think that this is the perfect time to say it. Uh, when, Stella, when you were talking to... Tom King, and he mm. was t- telling you some of the villains that are going to show up, and we heard that Kite Man is going to be there, and Condiment King was going to be there. I had to think to myself, because it, the, the two weren't talked about at the exact same time, but there was another point a couple months, uh, a month probably before uh, Comic-Con, where we found out that Batman was going to be creating his own Suicide Squad. Um, or squad, they didn't say Suicide Squad, but he's going to be creating his own squad of villains. Suicide Squad. Yeah, and we knew that Amanda Waller was involved in some way, and I just keep thinking to myself, as I was you know, going through the interview that you did, the villains are going to be these horrible, horrible D-list villains that include Kite Man and Condiment King. And I'm thinking that has to be what, what he's going for with these villains because what else would be the reason to bring this many D-list villains in except for something like that? Yeah, and, and I also think that General Lane may have been taken aback in this issue by the fact that Batman puts his head through a wall, um, <laughs> you know, which I kind of enjoyed. Uh, actually, this was my favorite part of the book was uh, of this issue was the interaction between uh, Waller and Batman. Um when she lists off like everything that's happened in Gotham City throughout the New 52, where she's like, Zero Year, Owls, the Joker, the Joker again, like, you, you certainly would understand. I mean, I don't know what the body count would be from all that, but it's it's high. I mean, a lot of people have died. Um, it would almost be understandable that the government would try some solution against the nut jobs of Gotham. So, I mean, that part of the, of the plot kind of holds together. And I always like it when you have the wall and Batman interact. So, um, is it as classic as some of the animated ones? No, but I mean, it's, I think it's still very worthy of, of the, of the two characters of being on the same page. Yeah. He, he certainly makes an entrance, uh, <laughs> when he slams Sam. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was great. Um, like I said, these are just two heavy hitters and to go up against each other, I think you have to take notice. And I think I would agree with you, Ed, that it's probably not, you know, the, most important or the the best one that we've ever seen these two go against each other. And I almost feel like um, Waller walks over Batman a little bit. Yeah, like she cuts yeah. him off and, and she is like kind of has a sardonic tone to it. And, you know, like not necessarily taking him as seriously, whereas normally it's like they're both 
angry at each other and like I hate you under your under their breaths. Um, but still, yeah, I I think that it might have been my favorite part. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what uh, <laughs> what comes of their quote unquote relationships. And she said, "You're here to help me." <laughs> yeah. All right. So overall, I'm going to give this issue three out of five. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's two and a half, three. I'll go, th- I'll go three out of five, I guess. I think I'll agree and say three out of five. And over on the website, Matthew gave it four, so that's going to give Batman number four a total of three out of five batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number 938, written by James Tinian, art by Alvaro Martinez. Uh, the issue starts off uh, many years ago where we see a flashback of, uh, of Colonel Kane, Jacob Kane, being told by the government that he is never going to be able to promote. He's going to be in charge of a secret group that even the president won't know about. Um, it's top secret. He has 13 levels of clearance uh, that's, that he has been granted. Um, and he has to to take, you know, he's going to be in charge of this new division, which we presume is the colony. Um, in the midst of this meeting, he gets a he gets a page, and it turns out he finds or he, they found somebody found his daughter, who we presume she ran away. Cut to Arlington National Cemetery, where we see the grave of uh, Colonel Kane's wife, um, and. Kate sitting in front of it crying, saying that this is where she wanted to be. Uh, they have a nice inter- exchange between the two of them talking about how he doesn't really feel uh, as much pain as a normal person because he feels like he's just part of a machine. Uh, she says that she wants to be a soldier, and he says, I will help you do it. Uh, I will do whatever we need to to make that happen. Uh, to the cut to the presence, Colonel Kane is being told by members of the colony that they need to leave because Batman and his team are you know slowly taking slowly getting closer and they need to worry about the larger mission as they disappear into an elevator we see the bat family consisting of batwoman spoiler cassandra kane orphan uh tim drake red robin and batman um all taking down member as well as clayface i i I don't know why i forgot him but (laughs) taking down members of uh the colony one by one batwoman shouts out that they are there's no points they're not trying to win here they're just trying to escape. They need to make a path to get out so that they can do a tactical retreat. Um, so she, she tells everybody what their jobs are. Uh, Red Robin's job is to get control of the, the uh, elevators so that they can get out. And they send Cassandra up to take down the muscle at, on the top floor. Um, meanwhile, uh, we see Tim Drake going into the computer central area where he comes across the general um, they have a nice inter- exchange between the two of them. Uh, the general explains that he would love to, uh, you know, dip into the mind and and uh, run some programs of his own past Tim Drake because Tim Drake is basically a supercomputer in a suit. Um, all of this being said, Tim Drake says, no, what's really going on? They, he finds a map showing that there's targets set throughout Gotham City for the colony to take out. Um the general ends up escaping through an escape hatch, and we see a number of colony members surround Tim Drake. All of a sudden, grenades on all of the colony members' belts start beeping. They rip off their belts and try to run away. As it turns out, spoiler, hacked their grenades because they had a remote. They had a remote. Uh, a remote. Lower Harper Row, you mean? 
No, I don't mean Harper. Spoiler row? Spoiler But she links up with Tim Drake, and they uh, get back to the main room where Batman is telling Clayface they need a bridge, and they he creates a bridge all the way up to the top floor where Cassandra is. As they're about to walk into what they expect to be another fight, this shows that Cassandra simply took out at least eight eight guys, uh, or at least eight soldiers. Um, meanwhile, a battering is thrown from Colonel Kane at uh, Kate's face, which causes her cowl to fall off. Um, as everyone who is there, including the general and Colonel Kane and other members of the colony, are flying on what appear to be some sort of spider drone hovercraft devices of some sort, um, they uh, he explains, Kate, this is your last chance. You need to be a part of this. She says, nope, I can't be a part of it because it, this is this is not something that I would ever want to be involved with. He says, okay, subdue them. As they leave, um, Batman drops what appears to be a gas bomb of some sort, and they disappear into a hatch. And the general and the colonel and Colonel Kane discuss whether or not they need to go, or whether or not what's the next step of their plan. Um, Batman has basically discovered that the the higher ups within the government have not sanctioned this plot to take out the League of Shadows. Um, so they basically decide that they have to enact their plan as, as soon as possible before the higher-ups are notified, and they've decided that uh, the drones, the bat drones that they had uh, basically in one of the earlier issues are going to take out the mission of taking out the, uh, the sleeper cells that they believe are part of the League of Shadows, um, and he commands General to do it. So next up, the thin red line. There is this was basically one giant action issue. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we get a little bit of a flashback at the very beginning of the issue, uh, dealing with Colonel Kane and how he came to be part of the mission and the promise and that he made to Kate all those years ago as to why exactly he's involved. What I would love to see actually, and I'm not saying this is anything against what Tinian is producing on page, but I would love to see the reason of why the Canes and the Waynes have the uh, feud that has mm-hmm. been going on for as long as it has. I really would love to see that because, and maybe it will be explored at some point. I don't know, but this, the, the, uh, I, I story-wise this time, it's fine. I just feel like the end of the story arc is going to take Colonel Kane out of the picture and we're not going to deal with the Canes as much. So there's not going to be a reason to deal with whether or why, why the two have a feud. But anyway, this issue, there's, there, there's not a whole lot to discuss in my opinion, because like I said, it's a giant action issue. Uh, one of the things I wanted to discuss was the interaction between Red Robin, Tim Drake, and Ulysses Hayden Armstrong, uh, the general. Um, obviously, these two have never met. This character, the general, is clearly a character that has only existed now and never previously, um, despite the fact that the character has appeared in Robin's main series with Tim Drake in the 1990s and things like that. So this is a new version of the character, even though it's the same character. Um, They're introducing this character in a new way, which Tinian has obviously some experience with doing since he's done it with Stephanie Brown and Cassandra Cain in Batman Eternal and Batman Robin Eternal. But that being said, I wanted to think, like, I know that 
uh, Stella, you haven't read a lot of that stuff with mm -hmm. the general, and I know, Ed, you have read some of it. Is it? But the interaction between the two characters, I thought it was, I thought it was well done. I loved how, in some ways, the general comes across as almost a fanboy of Tim Drake, but at the same time declaring that he's better than him. I thought that was perfect. Thoughts on that interaction? No, it's good. Um, I, I like the way they kind of do it. I, I, what I hope they're doing is they're setting the tension is putting some of these pieces on the table so that we can see Tim in some solo adventures or maybe some maybe him and Stephanie together type deal and building up some characters to interact with him because this guy seems like he could be a very um, a fun like you said semi fanboy maybe that that fanboyness can turn to hatred for Tim for something that we'll see happen in Detective um, but it's nice to see these these pieces being put in place to deal directly with Tim not happening to deal with Tim because he happens to be in the room. And I think the the fanboy aspect was sort of begun in the in the previous issue uh, because of how he was talking with Batman and you know you see the the Dark Knight Returns like that image as a poster pinup you know that he's got his and and all of this paraphernalia that's clearly you know I think he regards them highly but he also wants to be better than them. Uh, he was a little less annoying to me and then in the previous one, um, I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because, you know, with this guy going up against Batman, it's like playing tennis against a brick wall. Like, clearly Batman is not going to, you know, break character and, and have quips with you. But here it was like a nice little back and forth, like an actual, you know, ping pong. <laughs> because Tim would come right back at him. And, and I think that uh, Ulysses here, you know, he was trying to one-up Tim, and, and he looked at, I should just, he doesn't know it's Tim, so I should say Robin. But he should, you know, he looks at him and, and thinks that, you know, I'm better than you. And then he's astounded, you know, when clearly Red Robin has has one-upped him. And, and I think there are some great moments there. And then that whole history where they had, you know, a... A uh, what what are those called? A hacker handle, you know, mm. uh, in the beginning, you know. So I enjoyed this Neo. interaction. Yeah, and he's like, "Do you pronounce the the threes? I don't know." Um, <laughs> which was which was fun. But no, I think it worked better. I like this interaction because they're on the same level to a certain extent. I, I think Tim is obviously more intelligent and and can see more steps ahead than the general can, but they're both intelligent. Uh, they're both around the same age, so it was a nice back and forth, and so I did not find him as as annoying. Um, <laughs> and I, I think it will be interesting to see, yeah, when this changes, because obviously he's not just this fanboy kid. There's an evil, maniacal um, side to him, and, and I think clearly, I guess it's on page 10 when he's wrapped up with... Um, Tim's bolas, like just the image, the art and everything, the, the dark shadows under the eyes, his creepy stare saying, you know, I already beat you once. Like clearly this kid, he's <laughs> he's off his rocker and he's pretty damaged and he's fine with any collateral damage. So we've got, you know, the makings of a, a, a good bad guy here and, you know, if he can, if we ever get, I guess, a Tim, I guess a Red Robin, Volume Two. Who knows? Uh, book. Then it'd be a good villain to to start him off against. I agree with that. I think that would be, <clears throat> it, it, you know, if, if in some ways, if they're trying to like establish certain villains for certain people, Colonel Kane for for Kate and and uh, the General for Tim Drake, I think, would be awesome. Um, 
the other the other brief thing to talk about is you know Batman is convinced that the League of Shadows is a myth. He keeps saying over and over again that it's not real. It's you know it's non-existent. It was something that Ra's al Ghul always told people about and bragged about the fact that he could take credit for anything using it because you know it was something that he basically created, but it wasn't it wasn't real. Um, my my thoughts is the colonel is convinced that this is real so much so that he's going to be sending these drones out to kill potentially innocent people. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- what do you guys think of, or, or I mean, obviously the default answer would be, of course, Batman's right because it's Batman, but let's think about this logically. You know, if you're, you know, comparing Batman who may not know everything. I mean, he didn't know anything about the Court of Owls before the Court of Owls showed up, that's for sure. So, I mean, it's not that the Batman's always right by any means, but would somebody, uh, and it's obviously it's entirely possible that someone within the government could go completely off the rails with this idea that they're convinced that something is real and it's not actually real, but let, let's just compare the, you know, Batman saying it's fake and not even investigating it to mm-hmm. the colonel not even believing that what it is could be fake and just going to the complete opposite extreme and saying, we got to just kill these people. Let's talk about that. I think you're talking about two people who believe that they're inherently not, not able to be wrong, right? That's true, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. basically what it is. Well, the only difference is one of them's wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, yeah, but no, I think you're seeing different sides of the coin here. I mean, Batman's convinced that he's right, right? Colonel's convinced that he's right. I'm I'm assuming that in this story we'll see that that Batman is is correct. But yeah, I mean, we're seeing them both. Both men are telling the other guy that they have evidence that what they're saying is incorrect, and neither of them really take the time to look at the evidence. You know, uh, Batman doesn't ask to see anything. You know, the proof that the Colonel has. He just says, "Well, this is wrong," because you know, Raish, Roz, whatever we want to call him this week made it up, and he, and he says, well, we know you're wrong because we know you're wrong. Um, you could get into the whole deeper philosophical, political meanings behind this, but this is basically what happens when you have two groups of people that stand on the other side of the room and say, you're wrong because I said so, you know, and you don't have people look at facts or proof or anything like that, and I think that I think Tanyan's trying to make a, like a semi-political statement here with it, um, and it's interesting. Um, I think the Batman will be right because at the core of this, this is a Batman book, but this is one of those arguments that could have may, maybe been resolved if Batman and Kane just got in a room and went through their evidence together. They may have came up with um, a solution that worked better for both of them. So maybe what we're seeing here is that uh, sometimes you should compromise. It's almost like getting into Jason Bourne territory a little bit Ooh. on the on you know on the Colonel Good side pull. because of you know you have these high level uh, intrigues, high level of, of uh, clearance. Um, security clearance, intrigues, and so obviously the government to a certain extent has brought the colonel in, told him what to do, it's just that the colonel is going off book. So the government knows something that, you know, there's something going on and so I think this targeting, they were using it elsewhere, but the whole thing is they don't know that they're running these missions domestically, which is a point that Tim brings up at, you know, at some point. Um, But I just wonder maybe it's something where I don't, you know, we're being misled, or they're being misled um, by the government somehow, or, or just, you know, the colonel, aka, you know, 
<laughs> our, our our father Kane um, is saying or feeling that maybe the government's not doing enough. But it's interesting when you know your source, your wiki source, happens to be Ra's al Ghul, and it's it's both this issue and the last issue, like you said, Dustin, that Batman. It's it's almost his little refrain: "The League of Assassins doesn't exist." And why? Because Ra's told me that it's you know it's a nightmare, uh, a bedtime story you tell children. Um, to scare them, and also, if you want to take credit for for some terrorist mission that happened, so it is interesting. You've got two ideologies going up against each other, or two thoughts and belief systems. One that something does exist, the other that something does not exist. I think um, rather than both of them being, or Batman being right and Father Kane, as I'm going to call him, being incorrect, I think there's going to be something in the middle. I think some wool is being pulled over uh, the colonel's eyes, and something's going to be revealed to Batman. So it's going to be a shock. That's why I'm so I'm going to say it's in the middle that some realization is going to happen that um, neither of them realized. Uh, whether that's going to be uh, saving grace for Colonel, who knows? Probably not. But uh, hopefully he doesn't die at the end because that would probably destroy Kate even if he is a quote-unquote villain at this point in time. Yeah, I think it all comes down to compromise. I mean, that's basically yeah. what it needs to be. It needs to be a compromise. You know, they're both obviously very hard-headed individuals where they believe what, you know, their, their side of it is going to be the correct way. But pooling information is always, in my opinion, the best method of coming up mm -hmm. with the, the best solution. So... That being said, I'm going to give Detective Comics four out of five. Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's basically a giant fight issue, but it's a fun fight issue. I'll go four out of five. And I will agree, four out of five. All right, and Ian on the website gave it four as well, so that's going to give Detective Comics number 938 a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our last book, All-Star Batman. <laughs> All-Star Batman. <laughs> oh, no. Back Rook? together again, yeah. Ed and Scott <laughs> Snyder. Okay. And uh, I saw that Stella had a picture of her with Mr. Snyder. And he was jealous. <clears throat> wasn't wasn't a great feeling. No. Uh, so, All-Star Batman, wrote by Scott Snyder, art by John Romita Jr. Uh, I'm going to have to give some special credit here to Corbin, uh, the writer on the site, who, as I was putting together my wrap-up of the issue, I decided to take a look at his review, and quite frankly, his wrap-up is better than mine was, so I am just going to give you a dramatic reading of Corbin's wrap-up, because he did an exceptionally good job with it. Um, there is a little bit of, of chronological malfeasance in this, by the way. So, he did this in chronological order, which after I read it and I wrote mine, this does make it a lot easier to understand. So here we go. Uh, two weeks ago, Harvey Dent sends Bruce an encrypted message on a coin telling him that Two-Face is gaining more control. He is worried about what is going to happen and asks Bruce to take him to a particular house that will burn Two-Face out of him. Alfred is unsure as to whether this is truly from Dent or if Two-Face Two -Face is playing some game. Two hours ago, we see the fall of an attack that Two-Face has thrown at Gotham City. Some time has passed, and we see Commissioner Gordon sporting a full beard, Duke is wearing the uh, yellow ranger suit and has his arm in a sling, and Gotham City is raining acid. With the help of Cobblepot, White, Sionis, Batman, Batman and the GCD, GCPD were able to capture Dent. 
Batman pulls out the coin that Harvey gave him, and he throws it off the, the roof. 22 minutes ago, Batman is piloting the Batwing with Two-Face in the passenger seat. He is cuffed and has a bag over his head. He says that he knows that Batman threw the coin away and says that someone else will find it. 20 minutes ago, Harvey re- reveals that he's been collecting secrets and dirt on everyone, and he's going to give everyone the opportunity to show their true colors. A broadcast is being sent out with two and the Two-Face making a deal with everyone in the Gotham area. If Batman gets Harvey to the house, everyone's deepest, darkest secrets will be revealed to the public. But if Batman dies and Harvey is set free, they will be rewarded with millions of untraceable dollars. Just then, Alfred informs Batman that a missile is locked onto the Batwing and that he should brace for impact. Now, an unconscious Batman is thrown into a diner in a rural area just outside of Gotham by Firefly and Killer Moth. The Bugs have teamed up to find Two-Face and need Batman to tell him where he is before before they can kill him. Um, to give him some incentive, they threaten the lives of everyone in the diner. Kind of normal. Batman uses his cape to smother the flamethrower on a firefly's arm. He then takes out both of them. And just when things start to, to cool down, uh, another Dr. Octopus-type figure reaches the window and pulls Batman through. Batman crashes through the fence near some hay sculptures in a hayfield. Black Spider shoots the crumpled body repeatedly. repeatedly only to realize it's just a sculpture. He hears the sound of a chainsaw, only to find Batman standing over him with one in his hand. Firefly has recovered and stumbles through the hayfield, only to find the chainsaw-wielding Batman, who has removed the added mechanical arms with uh, the chainsaw that he had. He does what any of us would have done, turns around, and runs away. Batman makes his way over to the Batwing, opens it up, and finds only the bag that covers Two-Face. The people from the diner thank Batman for saving them earlier, but then they pull out weapons out surrounding him, intent on getting the reward. Two-Face shows up, and just as Batman approaches him, he is shot from behind and goes down. Two-Face goes up to congratulate the man who pulled the trigger, when Two-Face is pulled down and disappears in the tall grass, this time pulled down by Batman. Batman chains him up inside the cargo container of a semi uh, Batman contacts Alfred, saying that someone shot them down the Batwing, must have hacked into their comms. In order to continue, he'll have to go dark, and he signs off. Batman throws the coin out the window again, and we do see that Gentleman Ghost is hitching a ride on the back of the semi. Uh, the last thing in chronological order is we see Alfred, with tears in his eyes, say, I am sorry I had to do it, and we see the Bat computer has a target on the down Batwing with the caption, Target destroyed, and so that, that Alfred had indeed shot it down. Uh, there is a backup. Uh, the backup is centering around uh, Duke and a version of computerized training uh, that Bruce has made all the sidekicks go through, and we're going to see how it turns out for Duke. Taking, just putting the whole thing aside for a minute, that Two-Face is supposed to be dead. Um, we had Rebirth, so I guess we don't have to worry about that, but taking that aside, you know, I know that, that um, Dustin is always concerned when Snyder starts messing with classic villains, but I just want to see what do we all think of the version of Two-Face that we're presented with here? Well, I'll go one step farther, and I'll talk about all the villains that we see. Um, as far as Two-Face initially, I think that there's no real issues. I don't have any real big issues with the way Two-Face is presented here. I mean, the last time we saw Two-Face was in the pages of Batman and Robin, where he presumably shot his head off. Um, and Snyder has said on Twitter that at some point that will be discussed slash talked about, uh, explained as to what exactly happened, but it has not been explained at this point. So we have to wait and see. 
Um, as far as the depiction of Two-Face, I think it's pretty spot on with what I would expect Two-Face to be. I mean, I had issues with Snyder's Riddler. I had issues with Snyder's Mr. Freeze. I hmm. had issues with Snyder's... No, that's probably the only two I really had major problems with. Um, the Joker was okay. I didn't... I mean, like, there was there were small problems, but not as big as those other two. Um my biggest concern when Snyder takes on a character that is a classic villains slash character or whatever is that he puts his stamp on it, which as a writer, that's what you want to do. That's, that's why you write characters. You don't want to just walk in and, you know, turn in, you know, somebody else's version of a character. I completely understand that. But at the same time, there's certain elements of these characters that I think should always stay. And I just feel as if, his past with some of the classic characters, classic villains and characters in the past have, have gone in a direction that has not really been the greatest because it feels like he's trying to rewrite the characters. And because Scott Snyder has such a large stamp when it comes to his effect on the Batman universe and what DC publishes and what other, what happens in other bat books, it concerns me when that happens because then that's the only version of the character that we're going to see. Two-Face, at least the way it's portrayed in this this issue, is is perfect. I, I, I mean, there's, there's not a lot here to really delve into, but what is here works fine. We see that Two-Face still has, obviously, the split personality, that the two sides are working against each other, um, so much so that Two-Face is basically trying to take out Batman because Batman's working with Harvey, and I think that works out well. Um, as far as the other villains that show up, I'm not even going to talk about Gentleman Ghost because he's obviously just a cameo at the very end of the issue. But talking about Killer Moth, Firefly, and Black Spider, I think it was a great use of of lower level villains that you know have have been have not really appeared, and it's an interesting way of doing it. Like obviously, if this is you know originally the story was described as a road trip, Mad Max style road trip across the country and really it's only 500 miles so this can't really take place for that long of a time frame but the you know this idea that it's basically this version of these these people it's like a it's like a bounty um bounty hunting situation where people are trying to kill batman specifically to make a ton of money but you see all these villains that you know would not usually come out of the woodwork come out of the woodwork because it's a significant amount, not to mention some of them might have their own little secrets. But I think the artistic redesigns of the characters were okay, too. I mean, like, I mean, let's be honest, some of the incarnations of Killer Moth were kind of a joke. Same thing with Firefly. Um, Firefly, I think, has, has had better costumes in general than Killer Moth. But I think that the costume choices for all of the villains, including Two-Face, I think they worked well. Um, the one concern about Two-Face that I had is, for some reason, both of his eyes are beady red and have the skin exposed around it when he has the hood on his head. And I kept checking this to see you know, the comparison. And it's not until the very end of the issue where we see him without the hood on his head. We see the one side is, is, is just normal. It's a normal face. But there's this weird thing with the art where every time an eye is shown regardless of whether it's the left or the right eye, it's the same like red yellow eye with the red skin around it exposed, which wouldn't actually happen if he's actually two face. That's my, that was my only complaint about two face, which had nothing obvious to do with Snyder. Are you sure it's both eyes? 
Because the one eye oh, is always oh, covered. Trust me. Trust me. I, oh, I flipped okay. back and forth multiple times, and it was it switched <laughs> from right to yeah. left and back and forth, and I was like, I don't understand why this is happening. You it's can't have the same end. eye. Yeah. Okay, you were talking about the red beady eye, and it was funny because when I first opened the issue, or near the beginning, when I was looking at this guy, I was like, hey, why is Deadshot in my comic? Because, you know, the red beady eye and the white hood kind of looked like Deadshot. Okay, so I would like to say, since I just recently read Gotham Central in three days, all of it, I now know who Black Spider is, though in Gotham Central he just sort of pops onto the page and then is killed swiftly afterwards. Uh, so that was interesting to see. I mean, he doesn't play too much of a part except his little spider legs are ripped off. And oh. I wonder if they did that on purpose because did you know, Dustin, that John Romita used to um, draw for Spider-Man? So I, actually, I actually did know that. So maybe this is a little nod to that. Who knows? I agree that we can't talk about Gentleman Ghost yet because he's at the tail end, literally, on the trailer. So we need to wait until next time. But my little fan heart went pitter-patter because seeing Killer Moth was amazing. And they, they seem a little bit more legitimate. You know, they have more technological suits than their little goofy outfits before. But you can tell with all the interactions and everything that they're still losers at heart. And that's what makes them so special to me. More so Killer Moth than, than Firefly. So I enjoyed those. I think, um, yeah, the, the split personality obviously really comes into play here because you have sort of the bleeding heart Harvey Dent who is pleading to his friend Bruce to help me help me end it. And, of course, Bruce is going to do it well. The Bruce we know that has a good relationship. I don't know about the Bruce Wayne in this particular universe yet. But, you know, he will do anything he can to help him. And then you have this psychopath who's, like, ready to pay out anyone, uh... And, and has all this dirt. I feel like he's more superpowered than I remember him. And I mean superpowered in the sense of, for some reason, he's got all this control. The mob bosses want to take him out. I don't really remember him being on top of the pyramid like this. So it, it seems like something has changed. And I guess he also wanted to make a, a million Two-Faces since he had... He infected the weather. Um, but, yeah, it was just interesting. And who is um, White? Who is White? Like Cobble- yeah, Warren who- White. Warren White, Great White Shark. Oh, okay, okay. Cause, yeah, I know he was hinted at the yeah. very end of Endgame. Uh, he was involved yeah, right. with uh, Duke Thomas, that whole story oh, right. with Penguin and stuff. Yeah. So that's why. That's true, yeah. So, I mean, I think everything, it seems like, um, I mean, it's Scott Snyder, you know, I think he has a great respect for the character and the character's rogues and, and all of these uh, villains. Um, but yeah, just the Two-Face thing being on top, sort of the Carmine Falcone guy, I was like, where did that come from? Um, and also, I'm also trying to connect it back to uh, Batman and, uh, which I don't think will ever happen, so I just need to tell myself that this is not connected. I like it. I, I, I like Two-Face in this. Um, oh, of course you do. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> I, I like that we have all these people thrown in, though. And and I do believe that Dustin is on record with saying this and, and me kind of co-signing, too, which is if you're going to have these throwaway people, at least have them where they're fun. You know, like it's cool to see Killer Moth and Firefly and, and Gentleman Ghost at the end. Like if you're going to have these throwaway, give us throwaways that we'll, that we'll, we'll enjoy. Um, I think the coolest thing about that, though, is the fact that it's three villains that are bug-based, and they're working together. 
Yes. I thought that was really cool. Black Spider, Firefly, and Killer Moth. Yeah. Um, the Bug League. I yeah. Can see that. <laughs> uh, I could see Snyder throwing something like that. But I, I think it's, I think it's fun. I think that the, I think Two Faced, for, to me, works like this. Again, I don't know. I know there was some tease that we might get this brought back to the Batman and Robin. I don't know if we ever will. Um, but this seems like that that kind of Harvey, and I think he was kind of a little more mob bossy at some points in the past. Um, it just depends on your continuity, and, and I hate to say that, but really Two-Face in the new 52 was really underutilized, you know, probably because he was dead for a lot of it, come yeah. to think of it. Um, so we didn't really get to see a lot of Two-Face stories there. Um, this is cool. It sets it back up. Uh, I I think we'll find out a lot more about the character. Um, I do like the kind of the wondering, you know, is it is it Harvey that's trying to really ask it for help? Is it Two-Face trying to set up Batman? Um, I like the scenes with him constantly throwing the coin away, which, which, which is fun. Um, so yeah, I, kind of, I kind of dig what we, we've presented here. Um, so we don't belabor the point too much. I could talk a lot of stuff about the issue, but I guess the 500 pound elephant in the room is what's going on with Alfred? Is or is this more just Scott well, Snyder? This is a simple answer, which is yeah. Scott Snyder just does not like Alfred. Um, I think one of the most accurate answer you could give, yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, like, reading this and, and thinking all of the stuff that Alfred's gone through since Snyder's run and knowing that, you know, he got his hand shot off, even though he put his hand back on by the end of the, his run on Batman, he got his hand shot off, you know, he was basically tortured um, psychologically by the Joker, the fact that he was essentially replaced by Julia. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, reading this, obviously Alfred has some sort of secret. That's my guess. He has some sort of secret that potentially Two-Face is going to reveal about him. Maybe. I don't know. But Enough that he shoot down the bat line? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Maybe this is Snyder just literally just trying to get rid of the character. It, it's funny because, uh, Stella, one of the characters you asked about was the Outsider, um, which is a, you know, a a bad version of Alfred, and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, maybe maybe the outsider is going to appear, and we're going to find out that Alfred has been replaced with the outsider for years, and that's why Snyder's been doing all of this stuff. I don't know. Like realistically, I read this issue, and I kept thinking to myself, why is he doing this to Alfred? Like why is Alfred involved in this? Like why did he do this? It doesn't line up and make any sense to me, but it could just be attributed to the fact that Snyder just does not like the character. I I think it's clearly not because of the money. I think it's just because he fears for um, for Bruce and that he doesn't trust Two Face, obviously. And even though I think Bruce slash Batman is you know walking on eggshells to a certain extent and is trying to work this whole mission with his, you know, contingencies and backup plans and things like that. I, I think, you know, Two-Face, um, who I feel like is a high-level villain, and, and I like him better than the Joker, um, I, I, you know, you've got to be careful. And so I think Alfred does this in a really slimy move, obviously. I think he does this because he just wants Two-Face to die and so, you know, to protect Bruce in a bad way. 
So, you know, if that turns out, then of course everyone's going to be like, well, I agree with you, Alfred, but that was the very wrong way to go about it. <laughs> so, yes. um, but, you know, if, if this is true, that uh, Scott Snyder does not like Alfred, I guess there's like this sad little club that Alfred and Damien belong to. It's very sad. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> they need to have t-shirts. Scott Snyder hates us. Um, but anyways, if that's true, I just wonder, you know, why put him through all of that? Well, I guess that answers the question. But, you know, he put him through so much with Endgame. And then he ended up, you know, getting his hand back. So I mean, why not? Why just let him? Why not let him float off? You know, afterwards, because that was his whole point of not reattaching the hand in the first place. He he was like he gave up. He you know he failed and everything. So why not just let him go off instead of like putting him through even more rigmarole? Um, so I, I I don't know, but I, I think. Um, it was the best of intentions that Alfred does this, just like very poor reasoning on his part. Yeah, I, I kind of thought it was the wherever he thinks Dent is leaving him to, he thinks that's the wrong, you know. Mm -hmm. so, however, that's going to finish up is going to be really, really bad. Um, I, I just thought that he was that that's what he was doing. It, but it, him doing it for the money, like you said, Stella doesn't make any sense. He has access mm -hmm. to plenty of cash if he, you know. If he's looking for cash, plus I don't think that would be the heart of, of Alfred's character. What I think we could see Alfred do with a little bit of Snyder tent on it is he believes that this trap that's being set by Two-Face is so bad that he's trying to stop Bruce from getting there, even if that takes extreme measures. Yeah. Um, I think that's what we'll see played off of. I don't think he'll make him pure evil. Uh, the outsider thing is interesting. Um, the last time I checked during... Uh, and, you know, what was that? Forever Evil, he was still running free on uh, Earth Prime, Earth One, whatever, one, you know, we're, we're calling the New 52 universe. Um, so seeing him come in as a long-term con game, that would be interesting. But I think it's probably just that... I don't Alfred's think it's actually the case, yeah. though. I just have to point that out. Like, no, I said it, but, you know, let's be realistic here. Hey, it's a Snyder story, man. Anything goes. So, uh, no, I, I think it's just him trying to protect Bruce and, and going too far. To get there, and I think by hit, by Batman going off of comms, it is. And I know that when I say this, I can literally see Dustin going, "Mm-hmm, not yep, mm-hmm, not in his head." <laughs> I think I think this is the way for him to just shut Alfred out for the rest of the story. He's going, mm -hmm. "Hey." He's, I'm off comms now. See ya. You see, know. I think that's true, but I think the problem is just throwing it out there is the idea of this is what Alfred's trying. Alfred believes that that there's a trap. And that Batman's walking into a trap by bringing Two Face to this this house. That explanation doesn't make a lot of sense because at the same time, by shooting down the Batwing and causing the Batwing to not be the mode of transportation, now Bruce has to commandeer other forms of transportation and potentially come across even more people who are trying to kill him. So, like, if that's Alfred's thought basis, then it's it's a really poor way of going about doing it because it's just showing that Alfred's not really thinking about the larger picture. Well, we have seen in the Snyder Batmans that Alfred is depicted as a foolish old man. That's so, true. That's true. You know, old man. So maybe he, this is more of the uh, uh, mental unraveling of, of Alfred Pennyworth. Um, but I, I think this is a lot of it is, is a, uh, we're just seeing him and then he'll be gone for the rest of the story. And then in the end of this, you know, issue 13 or 25 or whenever this gets story gets over with, um, I think that you'll see Alfred and Bruce. Oh, I just trying to protect you, Master Bruce. 
type deal. Um, I'm surprised. Well, in that interview that I had with Scott, I mean, one of the things I asked was about, you know, is this just a Batman, like, solo title, or are you going to have other members? And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's kind of like a big team-up. And we saw Duke and, you know, a little bit of Jim. But I feel like, you know, when you talk about Batman, one of the quintessential characters next to him is always Alfred. And I don't know why or how you can neglect him. Even if you dislike him, you can't take that guy away. Well, neglecting him is having him serve tea. I would say that he's actually gone a step past neglect. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's he's put him through emotional trauma. He's had him tortured. We thought he was blinded. We literally cut his hand off. That's true, yeah. You know, um, I think that the truth is that at some point an English butler was mean to Scott Snyder, and he's taken it out on Alfred. And I would say that, 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 that <laughs> there's obviously simpler ways to go about explaining that, but that's probably the simplest way to explain this yes. hatred of Alfred. I think we do have to just briefly – like there's not a lot to talk about, but I think we have to bring up this backup story. I thought the art was fine. I didn't have any issues with the art. But I got completely lost with what they were actually trying to achieve here, <laughs> comparing each each uh, you know sidekick of Bruce's to a separate color. Okay, I can kind of make the connection there, but that backup was so wordy, and there was like <laughs> anything going on in the in the panels. I just have to wonder what's the point other than just to fluff the book and raise the price. Um. Yeah, I mean it's kind of silly. I mean it's. It's got an interesting concept, I guess, which is every one of the sidekicks have taken this test, and it's proved to him something about each of them. I think what I, there's a couple neat points when I says, or when he talks about even the villain that took the test, and he asks if he's talking about Jason, he says no, someone else. So I, I find that a little interesting. I do like when he starts talking about the different colors. You know, who leans to what color? Um, I, so I, I, I do find some of it interesting. It is extremely wordy, uh, and I think that the only reason why we have it is we're trying to keep Duke front and center. Um, I think Snyder is doing that on purpose, so I think that's really why it exists. Um, to be very honest with you, I would rather just see the backup put into page count for the main story. I yeah, I love the art. I thought that it was beautiful. I think that it, it um, is reminiscent of the coloring and the art of John Romita without it being John Romita. So I, I think it's complementary to the, the main story. So I feel like we do need some story with Duke. So I'm okay with that as like being the reasoning. But I'm a little confused because I feel like in my Tom King interview, I asked him about Duke because in his, I guess it was Rebirth, right? You know, that's when Duke was like, what do you want from me? And Batman said, you can, you've got, you've got to define it for yourself. So I feel like his story should be in Batman, not All-Star. But it looks like his story is more going to be in All-Star. Yeah, um, so specifically going to be in these backups. These backups. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I'm just a little confused about that because it seems like his story started in Batman, so why not keep it with Batman? I'm not too sure about that. But I think uh, the reason behind that is because the, rebir the Batman Rebirth title, I think, was in some ways, even though it was written by Tom King, let's also remember that Scott Snyder got a co-writer co -writer credit. Right, right yeah. Well, and kind I think in some ways it was kind of setting up the entire Batman line of books, All Star, 
Detective Batman. That's what they were doing with that first Batman Rebirth. So I think that's how I think that's why we're we're, we're believing that the Duke Thomas story would happen in in the pages of Batman. I never thought in my wildest dreams that that Scott Snyder was going to give up that character so easily, mm-hmm. considering all the other characters that he's created and how much of an effect he's had on those characters. Yeah, um, <laughs> I guess I I don't know. My feelings of backups, these, I I don't really understand them um, because, you know, my mindset is like in the Bronze Age when I was reading Detective, you know, to get Barbara Gordon. It wasn't a, like there were multiple stories, so it was never like a big story in a, you know, one little story is usually like a bigger story-ish and then two small, but they were all stories together. And so I feel like backups in this day and age are, are mostly pointless. And I just feel like if it's an important story that you want us to care about, then put it in the main story. You know, don't have this backup. I mean, I'm thinking back to, what was it, Villains Month? It wasn't that, but that weird Joker tale that we had to go through. Oh, Remember that, that with the Arkham? Yeah, in, so... That was Endgame. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah. I remember it was it was something with but, the psychiatrist you know, <laughs> and the, yeah, that was yes, weird. All of that, you know, I I'm not really sure. So, but with this backup, um, it it seemed like uh, I think the test is called like Briggs Meyer or Meyer Briggs, or you know, where you um, I think it tests like your personality quirks or whatever. So I felt like that was the leanings. Uh, but it's interesting that the colors, you know also reflect the colors that are on their costumes, which I thought was pretty funny. You know, purple for Batgirl, green for Damien, and uh, blue for Nightwing. Uh, so that's, a, you know, this weird psychological test. I don't know how Alfred knows about it. This seems a little trippy, just because I think we've really focused more on the physicality of Batman's training, and of course he, you know, went to school and, and did some uh, mental training there, and then Nanda Parbat, I'm sure, still is in continuity, and that's more spiritual. Uh, but this is just a little strange, so I think we need more explanation there. But it, I, I just hope it gets to you know a point where Duke is established, we understand what his purpose is in life, and um, I don't know, he stops having this almost whiny quality about him. I, that that may be too harsh, but it's like he doesn't want to be there really. If you you know if you read these pages, um, which is a little weird, because I mean if you don't want to be in the cave, then don't be in the cave. But Batman's like you know do whatever you want. It's so weird. It's a weird relationship. It's not like any of the other sidekicks. So I, I just want something resolved. And again, what if you want us to care about this? Why not put it in the big pages? So yeah, I think the it comes down to if it's a story worth telling, just make it a and, and it's not right. worth being a huge story that's mm-hmm. going to take place in 13 issues, just tell a short story. Mm-hmm. It's entirely possible to tell short stories. I also have to point out that for whatever reason, despite the fact that this title only has eight more pages than Detective Comics or Batman, it costs two extra dollars. Whoa. Which to me just makes absolutely no sense. I, you know, like by all means, I understand that Scott Snyder can can command a premium. Um, that's part of the reason why, you know, Batman prior to Rebirth was three ninety nine along with Detective Comics. They were both three ninety nine. And if you remember there was that whole situation where 
Uh, he actually went to bat for everyone. On yeah, that. He, yeah, he went to bat and said, okay, yeah, it's, you know, DC wants to make it four ninety nine. I'm actually stepping in and saying no, and we're going to keep it lower. Um, but when it was lower and it was three ninety nine, it was the exact same page count, 40 pages. Sometimes it had backups, sometimes it didn't, but it was still 40 pages. cover, too. Yeah, but my my I have a problem yeah, with the it. fact that you know, one of the major selling points of the rebirth was that all of the issues were going to be 299. I understand that this has a higher page count, but the fact that it's two extra dollars for only eight extra pages and the and, and essentially that's the backup that to me didn't mean anything and does not warrant me paying an extra two dollars. I have to complain about that. I mean, that doesn't affect my rating for the issue or anything like that. But I just have to say, like, going to bat for us, you know, whatever, a year ago or whatever that was when the price was going to get jacked up, thanks, Scott, for doing that. But at the same time, how can this book be worth four ninety nine when everything else is coming out as eight less pages and is $2 cheaper? That That's a problem. Well, here's what it is. Let's just face it. This book's only coming out once a month. It is coming out once a month, and I and I understand that. And I'm not saying it makes I, sense. I'm looking at it from the perspective more, of but... Scott Snyder repeatedly has the top selling book. So, if this becomes the top selling book for DC, why not try to make some extra money off of it? I can see That's it from the business perspective. Yeah, I can see yeah. it from the business perspective. But as the consumer slash fan, I think it's BS that they're charging five dollars for this book. Yeah, especially if you would put a three ninety nine price tag on it, no one really bats an eyelash, right? Yeah. You just go, well, it's eight pages more, it's a buck, whatever. But the four ninety nine jump is high. And I always I only bring this up because I was reading uh, I was reading about comic prices uh, compared to inflation prices and things like that. And a comic in the nineteen eighties, whatever it cost Due to inflation from the 80s to now, comics should still only cost about a dollar fifty, a dollar seventy-five, and really, comics have increased and surpassed the inflation rate so much more than pretty much any other form of entertainment. That was kind of I, it was an interesting article. Couldn't tell you where I read it because I read too many articles. But I was reading, and I just kept thinking to myself, yeah, and and most of it was they were complaining about how Marvel overcharges for a lot of their issues and they were praising DC for the 299 and then I realized when I picked up All-Star that it was 499 I was like you got to be kidding me. Well, so, I mean only All-Star is and it makes sense that the scumbags at Marvel would be up to that kind of stuff. So, we should probably try to keep the price down. Yeah. All right, so that is All-Star Batman. I'm going to give this one a 4 out of 5. 4 and a half out of 5. 4 out of 5. Corbin gave it four, so that's going to give All-Star Batman a total of four out of five Batarangs. That is all of our in-depth reviews. We're going to jump over to the website for Greater Gotham. starting off with the books that released on August 3rd. Um, as we mentioned, Batman number four came out. Then we had Nightwing number two. Nightwing is on a mission with Raptor that has them battling some fish-like people. Batgirl shows up briefly, but 
Nightwing has his sights currently set on taking down the Parliament of Owls and unfortunately does not have time for Babs. This was reviewed by David. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Uh, thumbs up? Okay. Yes, Can ma'am. I just say that it was terrible seeing Babs with that little picnic already and he's not there and it's very sad. Well, because let's be that. realistic. It's not like Batgirl just, you know, didn't just, you know, travel to the other side of the world and get away from the entire Bat family in her own book. But Well, anyways, it was he stood her up. On Wesson issue three, we find out something more. Um, I'll give it a thumbs up, but with reservations because of that. Harley Quinn, number one, after reestablishing Harley's current status quo when catching new readers up on what has been happening, the story features an alien that shapeshifts into a cow, gets slaughtered, gets turned into hot dogs, which causes anyone <laughs> who eats them to turn into a zombie-like creature. <sighs> this was reviewed by David. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. This, this book is ridiculous. That's a thumbs up, though. <laughs> this reminds me of a Marvel tale because if you eat um, people in Marvel and in Canada, you turn into a white beast. Just in I, Canada? I think. Well, I think it's spread to the U.S., but the X-Men and Alpha Flight had to deal with it. Um, I'm good. This was wacky. Uh, I'll give it a thumbs up as well. All right, Batman Beyond number 15, Tim Drake and Barbara Gordon battle blackouts all over Gotham. When Barbara goes missing, Tim finds her at Blackgate and reveals that Rewire is really Terry McGinnis, the former Batman. This was viewed by Jim. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Neutral. Thumbs up. Secondary TBU books, Harley Quinn and her gang of Harleys number four. Harley is kidnapped and taken to a creepy island full of illusions while the gang tries to rescue her without getting killed themselves. This was reviewed by Jerry. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 Batman 66 meets Steed and Mrs. Peel number two, digital chapters three and four. The Cape Crusaders continue their quest to conquer the Cybernauts and collect their crimes are with the help of Steed and Mrs. Peel. This is reviewed by Jerry. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Mm, neutral. Uh, neutral. Main DC Universe books, Justice League number two. The League quickly eliminates all of the problems they had in the last issue, then meet up to compare notes. After realizing that yet the worst is yet to come, Batman heads to find the Superman from pre-New 52. This was reviewed by Paul. He gave it two out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. I'm no longer going to give this a thumbs down, but I am going to give it a solid neutral. Neutral as well. All right. Next, we have Suicide Squad Rebirth number one. After being ordered by the president to shut down Task Force X, Amanda Waller suggests the addition of Rick Flagg to the team in order to keep the squad up and running. On the other side of the world, the squad is retrieving a bomb that either gives or takes away superpowers. This was reviewed by Corbin. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Uh, I'm going to say thumbs up. Neutral, but it does seem like it's going to be better than the new the art was good. incarnation. Yeah. The art was really good. All right, secondary DC Universe books. Injustice Gods Among Us, year five, number 15, digital chapters, number 29 through 30. While Superman attempts to reaffirm certain loyalties among his old allies, Bruce strikes the regime headquarters to get Cyborg. Meanwhile, in space, Hawkman battles Mongol for a kryptonite ring. 
Then we had DC Comics Bombshells number 16, Digital Chapters number 46 to 48. In Catwoman's Lair, the group resolves their initial conflict, and Selena, Harley, Kate, Renee, Ivy, Raven, Zatanna, Helena, Zinda, and Rudy swap war stories. Kate is concerned for Helena, who hates what her country has become, but Batwoman tells her the story of Jason, a boy who died at her side in the Spanish struggle. Arthur reveals that his mother was there was from the sea to Mira, and they unite with the village village's attacker to become to take back Mira, Mira's queendom. The rebellion meets a surprise when Mira's sister Hila murders her evil husband and claims the throne for herself, leading to a battle of the sisters. And then Green Arrow number four, as Green Arrow continues his investigation, Black Canary comes face to face with who is behind the entire plot. Green Arrow's daughter, Oliver, reteams with Diggle and discovers that Black Canary is being held by Dante and is forced to trade to save her. And then uh, switching over to August 10th, main DC Universe or main TBU books, we had Detective Comics and All Star Batman, as well as Red Hood and the Outlaws number one. Red Hood begins to earn the trust of Black Mask and entry into his gang. Things take an unexpected turn when Red Hood hijacks a train for the gang, only to come face-to-face with Artemis, an Amazon warrior. This was reviewed by Bill. He gave it two out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Uh, thumbs up. So far, Lobdell is totally surprising me with this run. Thumbs up. Uh, secondary TBU books, Lumberjanes, Gotham Academy number three. The Lumberjanes and Gotham Academy kids get deeper into the mystery of the Greenwood Lodge. Can they get their friends out of danger? This was reviewed by Jerry. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Uh, thumbs up. No main DC Universe books. Is secondary DC Universe books. Uh, new Superman number two. After calling the Batman of China Tubby, the new Superman gets taken down by both Batman and the Wonder Woman of China. They try to teach him how to utilize his abilities, but he ends up revealing his identity to the entire world. Batman of China's Batmobile is also shown for the first time. Uh, Earth 2 Society number 15, after meeting his son in the last issue, Dick Grayson's Batman, asks Huntress to help find John after he flees after disobeying Ultra Humanite. And then over in Deathstroke Rebirth number 1, Batman villain Clock King makes a brief appearance. And that is all of the books. So with that, we're going to jump straight into our listener Q&As, also known as the Bat Signal. Very first one we have comes from Jerry. Another great podcast. Thanks, everyone. I would love to see Genevieve Valentine or Valentine try her hand at Batman, as Ed suggests. Stella makes a good point about writers not wanting to get pigeonholed into writing for just their particular ethnicity, gender, orientation, etc. Someday, none of this will make any difference. I also look forward to Ed or anyone else's opinion of the Flintstones. <laughs> it's hard to tell if it benefited from my crazy low expectations. Okay, so first off, uh, thank you for saying it was another podcast. Someday, none of the ethnicity, gender, orientation, none of that will matter, and that day will be a better day for the entire world, in my opinion. Yeah, sure. absolutely. I think, you know, you know, we slowly make steps to that day, but stuff still comes up every day in the news where we see that that stuff is still taken into account in certain situations, and it's unfortunate. Um, skipping to Flintstones, I have to say, I, I took a look at Flintstones based off of 
Ed's enthusiasm to take a look at it and the fact that, Jerry, you gave it such high remarks. And I actually surprisingly thought it was pretty fun. I, I enjoyed it as well. It's not bad, is it? It's not. I, I was quite it's surprised. We need to start the Flintstones universe. Yeah, I guess so. It's, it's really not bad. I mean, if you're looking now, I mean, if you're looking for something to read just for fun, it's not bad. Pick it up. You're looking for a laugh. It's got a couple on it. All right. And then our next comment and final comment comes from Chowder. Is this where I comment to get featured in the podcast? Yes. Indeed. Yes, it is. This <laughs> is where you put your comments in to get them read on the podcast. And that is all of our listener Q&As. Clearly, People have been watching Suicide Squad or the Olympics yeah. and have not been able to leave a lot of comments. So for the next episode, we implore you to leave your comments for the, the next episode for us to discuss um, on the next episode. I do want to remind you that uh, there is, of course, Five Wednesdays. This must be the year of Five Wednesdays but because it seems like there's been more than any other year that we've been doing this. But there are five Wednesdays in August, which means you will not be hearing from us for three weeks, but when we do return, we'll have uh, we'll have new issues of Batman and Detective Comics to talk about. Um, I'm not going to hold my breath and say we have an issue of Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Returns. Uh, that would be surprising if we had an episode of Dark Knight Rises to review. Yeah, but, but I doubt that's actually going to happen. So no, I'm not going to hold my breath on that. But we'll have new episode, new issues of Batman and Detective Comics. Uh, of course, we'll report any news. But, of course, because there's three weeks and there's only two books that we're anticipating at this point, uh, that means we will have time for discussions. So if you have any uh, discussion points that you'd like us to talk about in relation to any of the new books that have been coming out, Rebirth titles, uh, you want us to dive into discussing any specific titles uh, a little bit more in depth. Uh, next episode would be the time that we would actually ha- probably have time to do that. So leave your comments and we will get to those. As always, I'm going to remind you yet again that we are still raising funds for the server drive. We are approaching the end of August, which is when I was really hoping that this would be wrapped up by. Uh, we are currently sitting at 52%, so we've gotten some more since the last episode. Um, so thank you for those of you who have supported uh, TBU. Um, but we still need 48% more of our goal to get completely funded so that uh, the servers are paid for. That being said, we are I've said this before, and I'm trying not to give too much away, but we are setting a number of new things in place uh, going forward with some enhanced podcast episodes, um, uncut podcast episodes, things like that. But in order to make sure that all that stuff works and we have the server space to actually fund, or not fund, but in order to actually have the server space to to, uh, make that stuff available, we do need to pay for those servers. So... Head over to the website on the right side of the sidebar. Um, look for TBU server server drive on the sidebar and then donate anything from $5 to how much ever you'd like to contribute to the Batman universe. Anything is appreciated. I, I was informed that if you are on your phone, it's very difficult to find the sidebar. You basically have to scroll through all the content on the main page before you can see the sidebar. So, just head to a computer. It's a lot easier. I, I, I apologize for that, but that's another reason why we need to raise funds is to get a makeover on the website. But all that aside, we have uh, plenty of movie, TV, merchandise, video game, and of course, comic news on the website. 
reviews every single week of all of these books that we talk about in uh, in Greater Gotham. In-depth reviews of all these books are on the website um, for you to check out. We have plenty of other podcasts to check out as well. There's uh, We just recently posted a TBU special featuring our reactions and review of Suicide Squad, the writing staff from the website. So take a look at that. There's new episodes of Back with Oracle, Robin Everyone Loves the Drake, Bat Fans, Bruce Wayne's World. Check everything we have to offer. We've got tons of content uh, on any given week, there's at least two new episodes uh, releasing per week. So plenty of content for your heart's desire. Also, if you are interested in working with us in the future in any way, shape, or form, um, if you have a talent you'd like to share with the Batman Universe, email us at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net. And of course, as I said, leave your comments in the comments section on the website. That is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. And this is Stella. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in three weeks. Bye.